In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who are actually under the illusion that woodworking is cool. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, it's Wood Talk number 210 for January 5th, 2015. On today's show, we're talking about design. Uh, We're going to talk about hiding table end grain, what makes something fine furniture, and how we come up with our own original designs. All that and more coming up, but first, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor. Brusso has been making high-precision hardware here in the United States for over 20 years. When you, excuse me, I have cold that's going to really screw me up this whole show. Uh, When you spend weeks crafting the perfect box or cabinet, why would you use anything else but the highest quality hardware? The entire line is available in brass and stainless steel at brusso.com. And hey, while you're there, be sure to check out the new line of knife hinge installation templates. As a special offer to Wood Talk listeners, use the code WOODTALK, that's W-O-O-D-T-A-L-K, at checkout and save 10%. And that's uh, really high quality hardware. I really encourage you to go out there, pick some up, and it kind of is that finishing touch for your, your work that you spend so much time crafting a perfect cabinet. It's hard to imagine putting flimsy little crappy box store hinges in there. So check out Brusso Hardware. Definitely my favorite hardware. I know you guys have used them too. Um, really good stuff. And we'd also like to thank a couple of donors who've helped us out directly with donations. Uh, James Filotio, Terrence Killian, Joseph McCormick, Christopher Moore, Michael Agnew, Tom Buell, our good buddy Tom Buell, Stephen Daneman. Thank you so much, everybody, for helping us out. And you can, too, if you'd like to, at woodtalkshow.com. Look for those donation links and sign up for a recurring donation in a small amount or a one-time donation, whatever you want to do. It always helps us out, and we appreciate it. So, gentlemen, we're uh, kicking off 2015. I've got a terrible cold, and I'm hoping this tea is going to kick in and help my throat not just turn into something awful. I don't know. I kind of like it. It's like sultry, sexy, Mark. Uh, maybe. It's I'm like, having trouble focusing, It's actually. my morning voice. And control yourselves, gentlemen, please. <laughs> it's French, Mark. Hello, oui, oui. Uh, oui, oui. Let's, <laughs> Hello. Let's not go into the uh, blue area today. Okay. Um, so what I'm curious is if anyone even noticed that we didn't do a show for a couple of weeks. 
I didn't. <laughs> no, I, I didn't. showed up. I, I fired up Skype. And, uh, I could see Shannon just every, sitting there in his shop going like, all right, I guess we're not doing a show. Well, you, you, I Actually, I did have like one – the first week, I did have that moment where it's like – you know how like you wake up in the dream where you're, you're convinced like you didn't take you, – you're late for an exam or something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. That's – I came bolting in. I'm like, oh my god, get out of the way. I'm, I got I to gotta, I gotta do nothing. Matt was at school with no pants on again. <laughs> Wait, that, that you're dream. not supposed to? <laughs> no pants Fridays. All right, so we're uh, we're back for another year. Uh, we're going to do our weekly episode. We will continue to try streaming live. Unfortunately, tonight's live stream is just not happening. It's outside of our control. Um, there's little gremlins in the computers ripping things apart, screwing things up. But we we will in the future try to have our normal live stream going, so you guys can listen to that as well. Well, you know the number that we're on. Actually, if it was uh, our show was in a certain age bracket, you would have to be taking pills to help that stream. So yes, I think we're doing okay. That's true. All right, let's get to what's on the bench. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks. Hopefully you guys have gotten something done. I mean, it's it's the holiday season, so things are fairly slow to begin with. Um, I'll go first here. I've had a couple of sad things to make. I was really trying to take some time off from the shop, from work in general, uh, and we've had some losses in the family. I actually lost two uncles in the course of a week and was tasked with building some memorial boxes uh, and little um what what's actually going to wind up happening is the my uncle was cremated so they wanted to be able to put his ashes in multiple small urns for the family the the closest family relatives so i built a couple little small things of just the best wood i could find it's a very simple box and i wanted to let the wood kind of speak for itself and, and be you know something that would honor his memory um but then i put everything i had i had 2 days to get this thing done and built a really nice uh, large memorial box for my aunt and that will hold not not only her container of the the ashes, but also uh, greeting cards and uh, condolence you know, things, memories, anything she wants to put in there uh, that will sort of remind her of, of my uncle. Uh, and that's all going together in this one larger box. Um, so I had two days to knock this thing out and just poured my heart and soul into it and uh, got it done. And I was really happy with it. It's a very Asian influence thing because I don't know when I go to my like core, let me let me lean on what I do best and just get something done as fast as possible. That seems to be what comes out. So I think I'm sort of Asian on the inside. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> I, I want to say number one that, that the, the box force is really beautiful, and, and it's it, it's it's a wonderful thing that you did there. And starting off before we even started recording, I, I don't know if I should admit this, but as soon as Mark came on, I'm like, "Hey, man, do you have a good weekend? Or do you have a good uh, vacation? <laughs> yeah, do you have I a great break? Like, I'm like, yeah, thanks, jerk. About yeah, that big. And then just now, <laughs> as you're describing the, the fact that you know that your uncle's ashes are going to be in there, and then there's enough space for greeting cards, my brain immediately went to, "Why is he going to read those?" Yeah. But then, you know, I, I suddenly thought I should really filter that. <laughs> no, I, I actually, I think your jokes are very well-timed, uh, <laughs> <That's> Matt. <funny>. Sorry. <laughs> should you put his favorite that's... daily paper in there with him, too? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that, that box that's... must be, it must be a lot bigger than I thought it was. Um, I'll, I'll send you a picture that, that'll give you kind of a relative um, idea. It's, it's big enough to fit greeting cards in on their sides. Huh. So, yeah, it is fairly large. The thing is heavy. I mean, when I was done with it, because um, my mom asked me to make it, and I finished it up, and I gave it to her, and she, um, my uncle and aunt live out in Ohio, so we had to get this thing shipped out there, so I built it. I'm like, I did my job. Now you got to mail it out there. I don't know how it's getting there, <laughs> but this thing, and the That's... the lid was sculpted from eight-quarter babinga, so I kind of created a relief on the underside and then sculpted that to have that curve go up, and then it has just a little quarter-inch lip that kind of drops 
into the box and helps it kind of nest and sit in there securely. And then the rest is just sculpted at the top, but it's a, a big eight quarter block of Bobinga. I mean, it's massive. So even though I carved a lot of it away, it's still very, very heavy. That lid is, is solid big time. Uh, so yeah, it's a, it's a good size. So if thankfully it actually did arrive. Okay. Um, my stepdad packed it up real nice and secure, shipped it out immediately. Uh, and they were able to use it for the initial service uh, that they had a couple of days ago. Wow. It, it's fantastic for what you put together. So, so last second and everything. And, and again, being all serious though, sorry for your loss. No, thank you. It, it's, it, it is one of those opportunities where it's like, look, I don't have time to do this. I, I had other things scheduled that I wanted to do, but then when you get, get down to it and you say, you know, look, as a woodworker, there aren't many times that you could build a project that has that much weight to it. You know, like we build great things. We, we, you know, put our heart and soul into projects we make and chairs and little things like that. But this is something that's going to be extremely important to my family for the rest of, you know, my, my aunt's going to look at this thing every day and think of her husband, you know? So how often do you have an opportunity to, to do something that is that impactful? Uh, this is one of those times where it was like, there's no way I, I've got to drop everything and just make this happen. Um, so yeah, so for, in, in that sense, it was, it was a challenge. It was, uh, I can't say it was fun. That wouldn't be the right word. Uh, but it was definitely one of those stop thinking and just get in there and in a sort of a freestyle fashion, um, build it and just make it happen. So, uh, so that's done. Now here's the thing, I guess I, I can't get too far away from what I do. I ran the camera the whole time. Now I, I wasn't <laughs> See, like, that's what's shocking to me. If, if I had two days to build something, there's no way I could have filmed it and gotten it. Done. Yeah. Well, it's a little bit more of like, bring the camera around, point it, turn it on. And I don't, I haven't looked at the footage. I don't know what I'm going to do with it yet. I don't know what the sort of appropriateness there is to what I do with it. I didn't talk to the camera. It wasn't one of those things, but I did film uh, the process just because by instinct, that's what I do when I'm in the shop. So I have no promises on what I'm going to do with that footage, but there is footage. And I imagine someday I will go back to it and figure out some very, you know, appropriate and respectful way to, to put that out there for people to see. Well, you know, if nothing else, maybe you're on might find it. I don't know. That's true. She, she might, she might not. She might be like, all right, that, you know, it was one thing to get the box mark, but please. I've only ever done this as a commission. <clears throat> I built several memorial boxes, but they were always for someone else who was paying me for it. Sure. Yeah. And, um, their feedback has been, Oh, I'd love to see how you built this. And I'm like, Oh, well, I happen to have a video. And the feedback after watching the video was "Oh, this is incredible. Thank you so much. So yeah. you never know. Right. They might, that might add to the, um, I don't know, the significance, I guess, sure, of, the, sure. uh, of the urn. Yeah. Well, and then the whole thing will be in his honor, you know? So when, when, sure. when the time's right, uh, we'll, we'll dig back into it. Uh, you, you know, what's, what's interesting before we get too far away from this, I've noticed in the last couple of days, I've had several in kind of my social media sphere, whatever you want to call that, mm-hmm. um, several people who have passed away recently mm-hmm. and it is kind of interesting the new like the 21st century version of going to the cemetery and visiting a graveside seems to be the facebook page have you guys seen this there's a lot of people who will continue to post to a deceased person's facebook page mm-hmm. kind of having conversations with them and it's it got me noticing it and i started looking around and i visited a few facebook pages of people i know who have passed away and sure enough there's like a lot of people you know, I was here today and I thought of you and it's like, oh my God, it's really, really touching. But it's also this like kind of, wow, is that what's become of, you know, the 21st century? This is what's 
is going to happen to Facebook in the next 30 years. Yeah. It's going to be this place to go and visit, you know, loved ones who've passed away, which, well, you know, in some respects, it's really cool, but it was just kind of this very shocking realization for me. Well, especially when we put so much of ourselves online these days where our persona is there. I mean, if, if I dropped off the face of the planet tomorrow, my site would still be there. My videos would still be there. My Facebook page would still be there. And probably, you know, 99% of the audience wouldn't even know that I wasn't there, <laughs> you know? So it, you, you put so much of yourself there. It is almost like you are still around, you know, I, I, I don't know if I'm equipped to say whether that's good or bad, but it, it well, is that's when we find out that it's really Nicole doing all the work <laughs> this whole time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're just the pretty face that, that shows up for the talking head segment. That's exactly what those it is. Hands in the, in the film. Yeah. That's actually Nicole. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, that would be interesting. But anyway, uh, let, let's move on to slightly less um, depressing topics. Matt, what's going on with you? I thought we were moving on to something less depressing. Oh, OK. Yeah. <laughs> no, actually, uh, the big thing for me, of course, uh, I really went full hiatus over the uh, the time that we were gone. In fact, uh, just the other day, I know we were emailing back and forth and I'm like, I hate to say that I'm having a hard time kicking myself into gear to get <laughs> back into the whole woodworking thing. But I think this happens every year. I'm sure if I went back and looked through all the emails, it would be uh, an annual conversation that we have. Yeah. So right now, the big thing is, and I'm so glad I did this. The past couple of years, I seem to have taken on a bigger project towards the end of the year with the whole delusion that somehow I'm going to have it done before the holidays, and then it just drags on forever. Mm -hmm. So right now, I'm preparing myself to get started on uh, my daughter's dresser that I've been promising that I'm going to make her uh, just in time for her to graduate and leave the house, which is going to work out perfect because I won't have to worry about it taking up too much floor space. Nice. Uh, Within the rest of the house, uh, so that's that's the big thing that I have going on. So I've had the wood for a little while now. Uh, if it's ever going to acclimate, it is completely acclimated right now. And in fact, yesterday, just to help kind of ease my way back into making sure that I'm ready to move with this, I started to do some of the rough dimensioning. In fact, I put together um, a little short slideshow slash video kind of a thing that went up today on my website. Uh, talking about it. And and the real goal for this is that it's just going to be just just a simple project. It's nothing over the top. I'm not planning on doing any really crazy joinery, not like I ever do. I'm going to stay kind of true to what I, I like to do and what I'm comfortable with. Uh, I think the, the, the big difference with this one is Actually, there's going to be a big difference. It's just going to it's going to be the same thing, but it's going to get painted. And I know that has a lot of people kind of like Nobody has really said yet, like, oh, you're going to paint it. But I know somewhere down the line, it's going to be like one of those, why would you let her do something like that? <laughs> it's like, well, that's what she wants to do. And I think the piece is perfect for, you know, for being painted. I think sometimes there are pieces that uh, they don't really need to be extremely ornamental and they don't need to have a super fancy finish on them. They just need to be. There's nothing wrong with paint. And the thing nope. is, you say that this is just a simple project. When you think of a simple project, you tell a beginner to build a chest of drawers, and that's not a simple project. Right. right. I mean, you're talking about multiple drawers, uh, the casework, the web frames. There's actually a lot to consider for, for something that, you know, that you're referring to as a simple project. So there's, you know, you're going to have your hands full. Right. You know, and the one thing is when it usually comes to something with, with drawers and especially a dresser or, okay, let me do this. I always refer to it as a dresser and a lot of people get kind of, you know, like, well, it's a chest of drawers. 
I, I use them interchangeably. Yeah, uh, me too. What about you guys? Do you ever have that where somebody will like you know correct you on what the name of the <laughs> piece of furniture is, and you're like, uh, I will beat you with uh, the piece of furniture if you correct <laughs> me again. Yeah, I've never been corrected, but we're actually in the guild. The next project is a dresser. Uh, the last time I did a dresser, I called it a chest of drawers. This time, I'm calling it a dresser. Why? Because I want both SEO keywords to be <laughs> prevalent go. on the website. You're capturing the audience. Yeah, I honestly. <laughs> Honestly, don't for me a chest of drawers and dresser are interchangeable synonyms. I, I, I don't think it I really was matters. always led to believe that a dresser is like wider than it is tall, and a chest okay. of drawers is taller than it is wide. But I could be totally making that up. I don't know why I feel that way, but we, I'm you know what, Shannon? I think you just own that. Just just say it with confidence, <laughs> yep. and we'll believe you. But I, I see <laughs> that's what it's going to be. <laughs> that makes sense to me. But then you just and again, this is just I'm, I'm referring to sort of generic usage of this. There may be some pure definitive thing that maybe someone else can tell us about. But uh, just Google dresser, look at images. The first two are tall cases, but then from there, a lot of them are low wide dressers. Um, so to me, I, I, when I use it in my everyday language, a dresser is anything that has drawers and holds clothes. Okay. Unless you're so, in Beverly Hills, in which case it's usually somebody who's fabulous. Yeah. yeah. So normally they're called a valet, but. <laughs> <laughs> That's my dresser. Oh, yes. I <laughs> nice. So I always think of the person that comes in and dresses me. Yes. <laughs> That's my dresser over there. Uh, her name is, and my wife doesn't like her. <laughs> Why would well, you? Know, we, we're talking about painted projects, and this is something that I've really, I fight with in my house because my wife loves painted furniture. My whole family loves painted furniture. So every me. time I build something for the family, it ends up being painted. And I'm always like, man, people are going to give me a hard time. And it's like, you know what? Look around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Look around at what's popular, what's in vogue right now. It's all painted furniture for the most part. So, you know, nothing wrong with painted furniture. Embrace well, the style, I suppose. No, it, it certainly has its place. And, you know, we are, are going to be talking about definitions, personal definitions of fine furniture uh, later on in the show. Maybe that's something we'll talk a little bit more about is what it is about paint that makes us think it's not fine furniture for some reason. Um, there you go. That sounds like, yeah, definitely. Cause there's, there's that, that whole definition of what fine furniture that is a gigantic. How much I spent on the hardwood. There you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, so that's, that's the big thing that's been going on with me. Yeah, there's some other things that we could definitely hash out, but we'll save those for other episodes when I decide to be like really controversial about things. Cool. Not that I've been controversial about paint, but anyways, so Shannon, what's been going on with you? I see that Cherry came over and you were doing something with him. Whoa. Yes. Yeah. How's Heather uh, feel about that? I'm, <laughs> that's I'm, his valet, having, by the way, Cherry. Yeah. That's my dresser. <laughs> um, I'm having a mat crisis where it seems to be that the only wood that I can use is cherry. Not that for Matt, it was what pine, you know, yes. and cherry was exotic, but it seems like all other species must be exotic because I have, I haven't used anything but cherry for almost a year now. And I'm hmm. still doing cherry. Because I'm building this bedroom suite and it's all kind of supposed to be matchy-matchy. So I'm just – I was milling more cherry for a blanket chest that um, I just started over the break. And it was just kind of like, man, I kind of can't wait to use another wood species. (laughs) I've been doing a lot of cherry. So that got me thinking about what other woods can I use because I've got some cool, you know, great – species in my my lumber shed that I would love to break out and, and do something with. And I have 
been in my new shop remodel long enough that I'm starting to realize where I need some additional things. If you guys think back to when I was talking about this before, I moved a lot of stuff out of the shop, kind of put it in Rubbermaid tubs and stuff because I just don't need it very often. Mm-hmm. Now I'm starting to realize what those what of those things need to come in because I do use them more often and sure. I need to come up with some cabinets and stuff. So um, I, I'm really playing around with some well, in the theme of today's show, some designs for some just non-traditional cabinets. I don't want to just build plain old boring cabinets with dovetail corners and or even not for shop furniture. <laughs> Screwed together melamine is what I used <laughs> to have. Uh, just something that, that's nice. I mean, I've got this really nice hanging tool cabinet on one wall that looks really pretty. And I've got really nice plywood walls with cherry trim. You know, the shop is really been dressed up quite a lot so i'm playing around with some cool ideas and i think uh as of like what five minutes ago or 10 minutes ago when i restarted the show i think i just figured out a use for some Bruso knife hinges actually oh there you go (laughs) um because i've i've always wanted to use them and i've never really had a project for them and i've got Bruso was kind enough to send us some so i've got some i've got to figure out how to make that template work with a router plane though i'm not sure that that's gonna work real well but yeah i just, you I my just realized it that's that's the element that um because it's kind of if i'm gonna do a shop project and i'm gonna dress it up i might as well throw some kind of challenge in True. you know you don't want to just build the same stuff over and over again and it just occurred to me i've never been able to use knife hinges so that's what i'm doing as of now as of right now i'm gonna use knife hinges for some sort of cool cabinet because what I've discovered is as I – it's not even so much tools, but what did Matt say, Matt? Uh, it was on Facebook or Instagram or something. I think you so eloquently called me a gear whore when it oh, comes yes, to yes. camera equipment <laughs> Oh, yes. I, I remember that. And You're... everything's got a charger. You yeah. know, the camera's got a, a, a charger. The The LED light panel has a charger. My I've got a little LCD um, supplementary screen. Because that little tiny viewfinder screen just not kick it, cutting it anymore from across the room. That has a battery with its own charger. And my GoPro camera has got its own charger. So I'm going to build, I think, kind of a Wood Whisper-ish gadget station nice. with knife hinges. Oh, cool. That's yeah. good. Except not, it will look nothing like the Wood Whisper gadget station. But that's the <laughs> Until idea. it gets I done and then something. you sit back and you look and it's all <laughs> oh finished God, and you're happened? like, it looks just like yeah. it. somehow it managed to be the exact same thing. And you know, I just I need something to go in the shop that I can plug all this stuff in because right now it's just like floating around the shop and collecting dust. And I've got a lot of really nice camera gear that it does bother me if it starts to get covered in dust because yeah. that's not good. So cool. Well, that sounds that's fun. the plan. I'm gonna hopefully gonna kick that off in the next couple of weeks or so because I need a break from cherry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's the thing. Like I, I've done that too, where I've gotten a little bit, uh, I did like four projects in a row and cherry was the choice. There is something really appealing about cherry. It's easy to oh, work it's, with. It's probably my favorite it's, wood. It's gorgeous, you know? So yeah. I, I don't blame you for getting on a little bit of a cherry rut there for sure. All right. Let's I move. I need a, a ring porous wood. There you go. That's yeah. what I was going to say. All right. Let's move <laughs> into, uh, <laughs> to what's new. Uh, first one here is from Robert. And he says, Wood Whisperer, meet the Tree Whisperer. And this is a little NPR article, audio clip uh, that you can listen to. It's about the Italian Alps. And I guess this is where Stradivarius 
got all of his materials for his violins. And there are people there today that still get their material from this same, uh, you know, wooded area. So uh, kind of goes a little bit into the history, talks about a, a person who's out there who interacts with the trees. He's the the tree whisperer, uh, but he, he actually listens and does certain techniques on the trees themselves to determine whether this is a good candidate or not. So they kind of like bore into it and tap it and listen. And if it has the right tonal qualities, he knows that this is going to be a good tree that they can use for their instruments. Um, cool. So, yeah. So, I've heard of this before, but I always thought it was kind of a myth. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's cool. And and, right and it's all it's just audio, but you really can get an idea of what they're talking about when you listen to it. Do they talk it. about the species? Like what's the I should know this. I yeah. play the violin, but I've been around violins a lot. What is the preferred species that Stradivarius used? I don't know. Hold on, let me look. <laughs> let me look at I don't know if you don't have it memorized. <laughs> I guess I better go listen. That should be the answer. Go yeah, listen to it. It's it's right there in the article somewhere and uh if you delay enough I'll be able to find it. But anyway, it's all there. Go check it out. It's a nice little listen. Cool. Sweet. Well, while you're out right while you're out listening to the trees, Shannon, just put your little ear up to it and everything. Uh, I, I don't know if you happen to have seen this. Maybe you can pour some of this in some of the cracks out there in the tree to help it uh, light the way for you on your on your way back in. We got a lot of hits about this particular link, and Alan sent this one in and said, it's a glow-in-the-dark resin for filling in the wood void. Did you guys see this? I don't. Yep. I think I saw it once or twice on Facebook. I've seen it a couple of times in various forms. You know how, like, something comes out, and then you'll find it on a five different, uh, you know, link bait websites? So it's, yeah. It was we one of those about things. We talked this on the show, too. I think we? we did, yeah. But this is a different okay. presentation of it. I think this is a little bit more how-to specific. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So it's a neat thing. So if you if you were one of those people that happened to have seen the cool blue glowing tree thingies, uh, whatever, when you're filling in the voids all over the place, maybe around a butterfly or something like that, and you want to know how to do it, this is a, a little great little tutorial on how to do it, or at least a little bit of a tutorial to kind of get you started. Cool. Very nice. All right. This comes from Nick D. And he says it's a 3D cutting looking board. It's a 3D oh. cutting looking board. Nice. Um, this is one of those. This is another one of those that I've seen pop up in a couple of different streams. Mm. But uh, it's worth a, it's worth a, worth a gander. And if you have time, check out the YouTube comments where people debate. Uh, one, <laughs> one guy's talking about I would never use a cutting board that was put together with glue. <laughs> Right. And another person is, uh, com- I, I'm not going to give this a thumbs down, uh, but I'm not going to give it a thumbs up either because there's no talking in this video. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing but brilliant minds on YouTube. I wonder how they feel about <clears throat> the uh, the Escher style cutting boards. Have you seen any of those? I wonder if they have some opinions about those. Yeah, like, sure this is do. just too psychedelic for me. Yeah, there's uh, an opinion. Not if they're put together with glue. I'm not a big fan of, oh wait, did I just give that away? I guess I was that commenter. Well, I just heard audio from somewhere. Yeah, sorry. YouTube auto playing an advertisement. Oh, there you go. All right. So we've got another one here. This one is from Ricardo and it's uh, titled Beginning Japanology uh, Sashimono Woodwork. And this is probably we, we occasionally get these uh, Japanese woodworking, um, Asian influence joinery type videos here and there. Uh, this one is from it looks like from a TV show. 
and it's really good. It's 28 minutes long. I actually had it on my laptop and I uh, fired up the Chromecast to watch this on the on the, the regular TV because it was that good. And it Ooh. just shows a, a whole methodology of woodworking and cabinet making and, and what's behind it, how these people do it, some of the amazing joints that they use, really impressive joinery. Um, I, I've shared this on Facebook as well and it's got a lot of attention. People really, really liked it. So um, if you if you sometimes wonder why you know, my work tends to sway in this direction. I just have a high degree of respect for it just because it's so difficult. And so, um, there's just so much meaning behind every, every motion that they make. So if you, uh, are interested in that, check it out and we'll have the, uh, embed in the show notes for you. Sweet. All right. Well, we have this one that came in from Ted and he says, hello guys. I saw this and thought, why didn't I think of this? So it's a link over to a average Joe's uh, uh, video on YouTube and he makes what's being referred to as a drink paddle. Now, do you guys ever go into the shop and you probably bring a drink with you and you inadvertently like drop some sawdust or something into it? Well, Average Joe here is creating a little paddle that you put right over the top of your glass so that you don't have to worry about it. So your water is always fiber free. Hmm. Uh, so, but given my diet recently, I probably should just be inhaling as much fiber <laughs> as possible. Give me more fiber, please. So I'm wondering, do they not make lids with cup or uh, cups with lids in the UK? I, it's maybe I don't know. As long I, I know they're concerned about BPA because everything <laughs> okay. is BPA free, which I really don't have an issue with. But yeah, I go in with a sippy cup. Does that make me like a boy man you're, or something? You're a giant toddler, <laughs> boy man, a giant hairy toddler. There you go. That's probably more like it. <laughs> now, the funny I do thing chew is, on the straw once in a while when I'm thinking. The funny thing is, as as my son has been using, you know, the little lidded cups and uh, sippy cups, um, you know, I think we've talked about this. Maybe it was offline. I don't know. Shannon, you brought up about how there's it's really popular now to have these water cups with the built in straws and lids. Yeah. All right. So Nicole has gotten into these things like it's her thing now. I'm the the resident dishwasher in the house, and I was so excited as Mateo started to get into regular cups that I wouldn't have to deal with these stupid hard plastic straws and having to clean them all out. And then now that he's done with those, I've got Nicole using giant, you know, giant woman uh, <laughs> sippy cups. So uh, I feel your pain. That is a regular things. issue in the Vanderlust household because I am the resident dishwasher 95% of the time, although the family will tell you that it's only like 25% of the time. Yeah. But yes, I have that. Too. I'm just like, can I just blow through it? Is that clean enough? Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's not just washing a cup now. It's washing a cup. It's washing this goofy lid and then the, the straw that doesn't come out all the way. Like, come on, let's just let's stop the madness. Let's just use a dang plastic cup. There we go. That said, those would be pretty good in the shop if you don't want to make a paddle to go on top of your drink. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> what I find interesting is the hand tool guy on the show. I just put it in the dishwasher. Why is that a are you guys actually washing dishes by hand? I There are certain things I prefer to wash by hand, and those big plastic, goofy straw things. I, wow. My the, world yeah. has been rocked. The inside well, of that, some, the straw doesn't... Sometimes heating element will melt them. The, you have no idea how many times I've had to secret myself out in the middle of the night to go get a replacement one because it turns out that was somebody's favorite, yeah. and now I've ruined it. See that? And the lid doesn't really fit in the dishwasher that well, and the, the dishwasher doesn't wash the inside of a straw very well. So, ah, good point. You know, so uh, straws. Yeah, it's a whole thing, Shannon. It's a whole yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah. It's a whole thing. Although once in a while, I accidentally forget to rinse it all the way, and so suddenly somebody feels very bubbly because of the extra uh, <laughs> soap that I left in the tube. It's got nice. an extra tang to it. <laughs> cool. 
All right, this uh, video comes from Jeremy. He says, here's a cool video I stumbled on about turning wooden bowls. And when I when I first saw this email, I was like, oh, look, another video about turning wooden bowls. This is, uh, this is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. This is how, like, you turn bowls if you make a million of them a year. This is, like, <laughs> mass production, like, commercial. If you go to, you know, a Bed Bath & Beyond, the wooden bowls they have there were probably made by these guys. Bob's and Bowl Boutique. Uh, you know, they, they grab, they take you from the log, like debarking the log and throwing it on this like massive machine that essentially makes nested bowls. Um, and, and again, in typical YouTube fashion, um, the video is fun, but it's well worth reading the comments because there's, (laughs) there's a line in the video itself about, you know, this is how it's always been done. We make our bowls the way it's always been done. And there's this whole line of comments about, yeah, because that's how we make wooden bowls. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's fun. It's enjoyable. Read the comments, please. You'll get a kick out of it. Yeah. Read them with the right mindset and it can be very funny. Uh, all right, we got another yeah. one. The last one here from our buddy uh, David Pachudo, who uh, took some time off from his habitual drinking to write in and let us know that uh, he found a pretty unique video. He says it deserves some attention, making your own carbide lathe chisel. Uh, we've talked about, uh, what, what are they called? Why am I spacing on the name of uh, it? Easy Tool? Easy Wood, easy wood Tools, tools right? Uh, and they're not cheap. And there are a couple other competitors out there. Every time we talk about Easy Wood Tools, there's always someone who says, hey, don't forget this other brand over here does pretty much the same thing and it's cheaper. Uh, well, this is actually a very doable demo on how you could make your own. Because really, if you think about it, all you need to do is create some kind of a solid platform to hold that little carbide tooth on there. Then you could just buy the, the carbide uh, cutters and install them yourself. So as long as you could build the the right little, I don't know, like the, it's just a little platform that holds it and you could tap the threads for a little screw, you're golden. And he goes through the whole process and makes his own turning tool. And it's certainly going to be cheaper than you could buy it. Uh, and if you're pretty good with uh, metalworking, you can probably make a pretty darn nice one. Um, so there's some woodworking there too, but check it out. We'll put the embed there. And I agree with David. It's definitely a good video worth watching. When I saw this, I actually forwarded it over to Craig Jackson at Easy Wood Tools. Oh, really? What did he say? Uh, well, I happened to be in a conversation with him when yeah. this came across. And I was like, oh, look, I just got a video link to how to make your own. And he actually liked it. Yeah. So I found that was interesting. Did he say, but uh, their handles are not orange? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't ask him. So there's that. Okay. So if you have one of ours, you know you're going to have to replace all of them if you get a different one. <laughs> right. That's one of those things where I sent it to him tongue in cheek, but you know, it'd be kind of like talking to Tom Lee Nielsen about you know what he really thinks of Wood River Plains. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe not something I want to push. All right, let's jump into our email. Now, we've got quite a bit to talk about here, so we're skipping some of the other sections of the show today and jumping right into the good stuff. Uh, first email here, uh, th- by the way, this is all sort of a design overhead uh, broad topic thing, but all three of our questions today do deal with design in some respect. Uh, Todd had a question. He says, I'm building a coffee table at my wife's request. It's a three by five top. That's going to be placed on a metal frame. We're going for a slightly refined rustic look. I'm using a six quarter poplar and trying to figure out a good way to lessen the end grain showing on the end of the boards without having to put a breadboard on it. The finish is going to be a clear top coat of some sort. Thanks for all you are doing and great job on the show. Well, my first question, not to be a smart ass, my first question is why? <laughs> I'm not sure I understand. I mean, maybe it's a personal taste thing uh, that he wants to hide that end grain, but we've talked about this before where people are of the opinion that 
uh, that people are, I guess they see folks going through all kinds of trouble to hide end grain. And then uh, this was actually not too long ago. I think we, we discussed this. Uh, and I mentioned that I never really think about it. Like some things are just built in a way that hides end grain naturally, but I don't go out of my way to hide end grain. It's just a part, a natural part of the board. So unless right. it, it completely inter- interrupts the look of something and I don't want to see that end grain, most of the time you just let it fly. And especially when you're talking about a big slab tabletop like that, I'm not sure I can understand why you would want to hide the end grain, especially if you're talking about a rustic look. He says refined rustic, but that has nothing. refined rustic. Yeah, has nothing to do with end grain. refined, come on. And if you're doing a rustic look, generally that includes uh, not the most consistent stain finish. So you're going to have lights and darks and it's going to be a little bit of a varied look to it. So why wouldn't you want that end grain to do what it naturally does. Now that said, if you are trying to reduce the visual impact of the end grain, the only thing I could think of aside from doing, you know, the, the, the breadboard look that he's talking about would be to create some sort of an underside chamfer or bevel on the end to minimize the amount of end grain that the eye sees when you first look at it. Uh, so if you, you imagine like, you know, like the underside of a shaker tabletop, a lot of times it's got that really shallow, but wide bevel on it. Mm. Um, you can actually make, it'll make the top appear a little bit thinner and lighter, which may be against what you're trying to do, but it certainly will minimize the amount of end grain the eye sees when you look at it from the end. Um, but other than a breadboard end, I don't know what else you could really do to hide end grain in a case like that. Uh, yeah, you could uh, just use plywood, just really thick plywood, like multiple <laughs> layers, and then just put like a piece of veneer over the end of it so that you don't have yeah. to see that at all. Yeah, I, 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 I hate to say it, but I, I'm kind of of that when this one came in and we were talking about this whole thing, I really was trying to figure out that whole anti end grain movement that seems to be out there. Is it a splinter group? I don't well, see, know what's going on. Here's with the it. thing that that's whenever people talk about that, that's where I'm always a little bit lost because I didn't know there was a anti end grain movement. This is one of the first times it's I've called Queen Anne furniture. Is that what it is? Okay. Yeah. So this oh. guy, this guy <laughs> moved from Queen Anne to a rustic table. Um, but yeah. yeah, but I honestly, this was one of the first times I've ever had someone even inquire about just for visual reasons, hiding the end grain on something like this. So I, I wonder sometimes, it could it be a situation where maybe uh, once the, the, the piece gets stained, because end grain can so, so absorb so much more of it, it takes on a darker tone. And, and maybe what, what we're really looking for, perhaps Todd and maybe other individuals that are so that are looking for a way to kind of get around the end grain is what, what can they do to make the end grain less prominent? You know, yeah, in like that case, perhaps it's, you know, doing a little bit more sanding to take mm-hmm. it up to a higher grit so that it's a little bit more abraded so that the the uh, finish won't be absorbed quite as much. Perhaps maybe that is really what more the idea of what they're thinking. They just don't well, want it to be so prominent. Yeah, well, he does say that in, in Todd's specific case that the finish is going to be a clear top coat. So uh, the clear top coat could also make the end grain look a little bit darker. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just sanding to a higher grit would certainly um, take care of that issue. But I don't know, Todd, if you want to write us back, let, let us know a little bit of what your reasoning is. Uh, because personally, when I see end grain, that's something that tells me that this thing was made from solid wood and it's a hallmark of a good quality piece in, in a lot of cases. So I don't see anything wrong with end grain personally. Yeah, because I've never really seen like an end grain veneer. Have you? Um, no. Maybe well, if someone's maybe trying to simulate here on the end grain, you mean like a, a face grain veneer? No, I'm just like an actual like end grain looking veneer. I have seen, seen people try to, fronts, um, but, okay. if you're trying to simulate solid wood and you want something that's more stable, you, you can actually do that. Uh, but that would be a little weird. Yeah. It's a lot of work. Well, you know? I have a My, client that um, this is on a much, much larger scale on like home siding, 
but they had the same issue where they didn't like the ingrain of the clapboard siding coming off the end and they didn't want to do any kind of normally there's a, a corner molding there and they absolutely didn't want to do that they wanted to be able to see the siding which probably has some major issues as far as water getting behind the siding but it was in the hamptons and they had lots of money so we did what they wanted to do um but what we ended up doing was using a bleaching oil um we didn't the the contractor did but they used a bleaching oil on the ingrain to like severely lighten the the um the ingrain to begin mm. with so then once the oil top coat was put over top of it it's kind of like the opposite of a stain so wow might be worth playing with i mean if, if it's just the extra darkening of that extra absorption that he doesn't like yeah it could be kind of cool if you know if it lightens it up a whole bunch and then you put the oil over top so you get you know i don't i think it would be really difficult to get a matching color um but i don't know that sounds like a different. lot of lot of extra work. Yes, it is. <laughs> but so would be veneering the edge and, you know. Yeah. Well, let us know, Todd. Anyway, I don't yeah, think we definitely. helped you very much, but uh, let's move on. Okay. It, it is well, interesting, though, the whole ingrain thing that does, as far as I know, dated back to to the Queen Anne style. They put moldings over everything, you know. Yeah. Like people talk about how, you know, we've gotten really, really anal retentive about our dovetails. And when you look at dovetails and old pieces – you know, they weren't that good. Well, that's because most of the time they weren't seen Yeah, because right. they had a molding thrown over top of them. So sure. there's your, there's your big design change. If you don't have ingrain showing, you can have sloppy joinery. Mm-hmm. Oh, hey, well, perfect. That works out awesome for me. <laughs> Matt's all over it. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Sweet. So let's go into this next question then. And actually I'm almost wondering if, which question is going to be, uh, let's tackle heck, heck it. Let's go with mine. I was looking at Shannon's also thinking, Hmm, this is, this is definitely going to be a, something that we can really run with. But the question I have is from Dusty, and Dusty says, what parameters do you look at when deciding a piece of work falls into the category of fine furniture? I know that it entails a mixture of design, joinery, wood selection, finish. Do you weigh one more than the other? For example, if you saw a dining room table with nice proportions and a nice finish, but it was held together with pocket screws, would that discount the entire piece for you? Nothing that gets pocket screws, according to Dusty. So, you know, this is definitely one of those questions that, in my opinion, this is totally like one of the, it goes along with the, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Yeah. Everybody has their own definition of what is fine furniture. I'm sure somewhere out there, there is probably a set definition by somebody who thinks they really know everything about what exactly fine furniture is. And I, I really, I don't have a specific one. I, I know what I like. And I, I know when I think that that's a really nice, fine piece of furniture, as far as I'm concerned. I, I have such a hard time categorizing uh, styles of furniture. Or in this case, like Dusty's asking, you know, is it, is it a mixture of design, joinery, wood selection, and finish? I know some people will say that for sure it has to be like classic traditional joinery. It has to be uh, maybe the, the a finer hardwood, like, you know, maybe, I don't know, walnut for some reason always seems to come up as uh, wood that's used in fine furniture. Again, this is such a subjective question and such it a subjective really answer that I don't think anybody will ever have a real answer to be able to, you know, to point to and say, this, this is what fine furniture is. Well, because it's very personal answer this question then, if, if possible, is no. there something, okay. 
Shannon, answer this question. Uh, if, if you see something that is, is there anything that you would see on a piece of furniture that is clearly going to make it not fine by, you know, your personal definition of fine furniture? Um, and his example of pocket screws is a good one. There are a lot of people who will say that if there's metal hardware in something, uh, screws, fasteners, that type of thing, not, not handles, but, um, you know, things holding it together made out of metal, then it is no longer fine furniture. Right. I, I guess in that case, there, there are, are one, two things, one thing for sure. Let's start with, with the one thing for sure that does it for me is anything that's like particle board. Okay. Uh, you know, something along that. So I, I guess maybe in the realm of materials, I like to think of uh, uh, solid wood, the majority of it being solid wood. But at the same time, I've seen some amazing looking like conference style tables that you know that they're made from some sort of sheet good or something. And I would even put those uh, into the realm of potentially fine furniture. Yeah, now, I- the other thing, it would be the finish that goes on it mm-hmm. because uh, if it's uh, I love polyurethane. But uh, when I think of uh, fine furniture, I don't think of polyurethane being on that fine furniture or my, what I like is a piece of fine furniture. Well, see, and here's the tricky thing. If somebody really, really – someone who's really good with this stuff gets a piece of uh, particle board, puts a really mm-hmm. nice fine veneer on it, and then they apply a polyurethane finish in a way that makes it look good because not all poly- – I mean someone slaps on poly with a brush and doesn't know what they're doing. It does look like crap, but applied properly, it can look very good. So right. someone has the right hands out there who can make a gorgeous piece of furniture with a uh, with a not, pl- not even plywood, a particle board core and mm-hmm. slap on a really good quality polyurethane finish and you might never know. That's very true. You know what I mean? That's part of the problem with this. And I think why people have so much of an issue of it, because a lot of things that we buy and pay for in furniture stores uh, under the impression that we're actually buying something of high quality, truly at its at its core, uh, pun intended, is actually, you know, crap materials that won't hold up to, you know, more than one move. Right. Well, and I think that may be at the heart of it. Fine furniture comes down to durability, I think. Um, and, you know, we say the, the, the metal fastener thing immediately gets uh, countered these days by, well, what about pocket screws? Well, pocket screws, at least what we view today as pocket screws, the Craig Jig pocket screw with the self-tapping panhead Robert's Drive screw, that's a really strong form of joinery. Mm-hmm. Pocket screws, of course, go back into, you know, the 18th century used to attach tabletops and things. But for the most part, Metal fasteners are not as durable as wood joinery. Um, and, and if it's exposed, that is kind of a different thing. If you want it to be a super, super strong, say, nut and bolt type thing, well, that's hard to do and hide that. So it, it comes down to, I think, durability. And I've, I've got some, some very recent experience with this because I, I recently failed uh, my wife as a woodworker because she went out and bought a piece of furniture from Target. And oh, my I'm God. I'm looking at it right now. And, you know, actually, I think Target's got some nice stuff, just like you could say Ikea's got some nice stuff. But it's meant to be knocked down, right? Yeah. So it's, it's got that those little cam lock knockdown hardwares and dowels for alignment. And – you know, it'll hold together fine for a couple of years. It's loaded up with books and everything right now, but I'm looking at it. The gaps in the doors are huge, mm-hmm. nor are they even, um, probably because the entire piece is slightly out of square because it's just held together with dowels and that knockdown hardware. Um, but it's a nice looking piece of furniture. It's a very attractive piece of furniture. In fact, I would like to, I like the design. 
So in talking in terms of design, I think the lines and the aesthetic appeal of it are really, really nice, but I wouldn't call this fine furniture. It's a cheap hardboard back. Um, the panels are, it's meant to be look like a faux frame and panel. So there's, there's solid wood corner posts with a really thin, like eighth inch piece of some sort of fiberboard in between them. Yeah. Um, and it, it's such a fine, fine line pun intended, because I look at it and go, wow, that's a really nice piece. And the woodworker in me sees the uneven gaps in the doors, sees the fact that the, it's they're glass doors with dividers in them, but right. it's a solid sheet of glass with just dividers like tacked onto the front. <laughs> right. So, you know, it's those little things that to me make it seem not like fine furniture. Yeah. Um, and, and I do think some of it's joinery. So, you know, to me personally, I I do think when you add metal fasteners that it starts to drift away from fine furniture in my personal um, definition. Well, and I think that's um, that's the thing. This is not something that's a you know white and black uh, on or off issue. It's on a right. scale, and really, right. and like you said, you look at the piece and you go, "Oh, that's rather nice." And then you go and yeah. look a little bit deeper at level two, and now you're right up on it, and you start to see some of these issues surfacing. You lift up a drawer, you pull a door open, and you start to see that it's inferior materials. There's yeah, a, a like few gaps. metal drawer hardware. That's a real button for me. That's it's not fine furniture in my see, opinion. Didn't we? We talked about this in the past too. When I made <laughs> yeah, a comment yes. about that, and I think I got nailed for it, saying that I, if I'm building a, a dresser, aka chest of drawers, that. <laughs> that I am not going to put metal hardware in there because even though metal hardware works really well, metal slides are fantastic. That is not in my mind what I see as a, a fine chest of drawers. You know? you know, but what about the satisfaction for the, for the end user of it? So in this, in the situation of the, the drawers and, and the metal uh, slides and stuff like that, sure. If it's a, a very well built piece uh, and it, it's all wood components and it's, it, the drawer is opening nice and easy every single time, you know, that's fantastic, but you only have to have it like mess up once and it doesn't matter how expensive that piece was. Somebody is going to be extremely dissatisfied with it. You know, um, well, well, what happens though if it's all wood, and you know, because you you think it should be all wood, and mm-hmm. the door, the drawer seizes up on you because of a seasonal movement issue. You know, so right. there, there's a fine piece. You did it for because you think it's fine furniture, but now again, the end user has a problem. But but it's right. not because of metal hardware. True, <laughs> you know what True. I mean? Like that can happen either way. So yeah. to me, I, I think I, again, I think it's, 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 uh, well, I, we all agree about this. It is extremely subjective. It's yeah. so hard to, you know, it even come down to like a cultural thing. I'm sure, uh, Asian inspired furniture. Uh, I'm sure somebody who is very, very knowledgeable on that might look at some of the best Western pieces and be like, uh, uh-huh, yeah, whatever. Would you pick that up? Ikea. I generally don't look at the pieces at best Western, but <laughs> for the most part. I'm more of a holiday you're, you're probably inc- doing yourself a favor especially without the black light do yourself well, you know what unintentionally that's a really good point because you think about it think about a hotel chain even like a nicer hotel chain you know yeah. they're buying furniture for thousands and thousands and thousands of rooms mm-hmm. so price is the most important thing so how do you produce a low cost piece by cutting quarters by mass producing things and that proportionally the thickness of the materials used the stain used because you're you know you can't you can't make a thousand dressers or chests of drawers all exactly the same because wood is an organic 
entity. You know, it's not all going to look the same. So what do you do? You buy poplar or you buy maple or you buy that um, laminated board where it's got, you know, a bunch of strips all glued together with finger joints to create a panel and you apply some sort of dark stain to it. Use all the same joinery cut on a CNC machine or whatever, and you know now I'm opening another can of worms. CNC and you know is it fine furniture or whatever? But that was another question. In there, our there box, is this way. almost kind of intangible thing. Walk into a Best Western, walk into a Marriott or an NBC Suites or a Comfort Inn, and the furniture in that room is like ah, that's nice, but that's not fine furniture. Why is that? What is it about that piece that makes me think that's not fine furniture? Because I know that it was mass produced. I I don't know. Well, I think ultimately you're looking at a scale. You're looking at, uh, just like Dusty points out, you're looking at multiple things. There's not one thing. And there are certain, you'll see certain elements that say, yeah, that kind of knocks it down a notch, but it's still finer than something else that I've seen. So, I mean, you're going to have to look at the design. You got to look at the materials, the joinery, the finish, and take it on a whole. And, And then to make matters more confusing, everyone's scale personally is going to be different. And I think today, I don't know, maybe, uh, maybe our expectations for furniture as a society, I mean, speaking of Americans generally might be very different than it was a hundred years ago. Uh, and, yeah. and people are more okay with uh, lesser quality, more disposable furniture items. Maybe, maybe oh, yeah. that's changing I mean, now because of the, the current uh, climate of things and then the, you know, sort of handmade movement might be changing some of that mentality so that people do have higher standards with their furniture. Well, but I think on the flip side of that is technology has made it easier for fine furniture to become more accessible. Yeah. CNC, you can CNC a mortise and tenon. You can have, you know, what's the the Thomas Mosier Furniture Company? I think they make fine furniture, but they use a lot of CNCs to do yeah, it. Yeah. Um, we, we Ethan get... Allen's the same way. Nice, high quality furniture, and we didn't have that. What. 30 years ago. Um, well, so you know, building, building, building on that idea of accessibility, for sure, t- today, probably more than ever, it, like you said, it's so much easier to get, you know, what would be considered fine pieces where just what, I don't know, 100 years ago, 150 years ago or something like that, you probably had like the one furniture maker in your area. And so everything he built was fine furniture because I would not have a furniture maker in my area who was not fine quality. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like one of those things where now it's so easy to go into a showroom and be like, I would like that. And then like maybe list off some specifications that you specifically want for it to fit into your house where you know, again, hundred years ago or more, it probably was was something where you had to like sit down with the craftsmen themselves, and and you know they're going to build something really really nice. I don't know. I, I think a lot of it is accessibility. And actually, my other final thought on this one is uh, I think that what defines something as being fine fine furniture is really good marketing. because we said it's fine that's right right. yeah (laughs) that uh, is a very powerful thing Um, well you know what let me throw in that CNC question since we touched on it Aaron wrote in and he said I have a question that I'd love for you to discuss is digital wood carving really woodworking I recently saw a Facebook post by Laney of Simple Design of Ocala where he shows off some work with his DWC comments range from show off lol nice work and very nice Laney but seriously folks how much wood carving talent goes into using a DWC? I don't know what a DWC is. Uh, he says, I like Laney, but I feel that this isn't woodworking. Um, well, first of all, to me, woodworking is in, again, in the eye of the beholder. Uh, if Laney gets satisfaction and builds some cool stuff with his DWC, whatever that is, 
all the power to him. I'm not going to judge him and say that it isn't woodworking. Um, right. To me, by definition, woodworking. Uh, well, here you go. Here's the Merriam-Webster woodworking definition. <laughs> the, Ooh, oh, the, good. The act process or occupation of working wood into a useful or desired form. It says nothing about what tools you use to do it. So I think Laney is woodworking. Is it the type of woodworking that everybody wants to do for their but is per- it fine woodworking? And we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, I think that's the thing. It is woodworking. It just may not be the kind of woodworking that Aaron wants to do. It's not the kind of woodworking I want to do, but there are certain times when boy, am I glad I know somebody who's got a CNC because I find it to be a very useful tool for certain things. Right. Uh, but so, so when you're using a CNC and you're getting more of these mass produced, uh, style production elements to it, um, can you still make a piece of high quality fine furniture with a CNC? Absolutely. It, it, it may not have the personal craftsman's sweat on it, I guess, that some people might want to see, but it still can be fine furniture. Yeah. Well, I mean, does this whole discussion, maybe this doesn't, this is just one aspect of it, but I always feel like this discussion of fine furniture, it really centers around one thing, dovetail joinery. I mean, it <laughs> always, when somebody talks about fine furniture, dovetail joinery, always, always, always somehow gets dragged into it or or mortise and tenon. If it's if if you don't have a piece of furniture that has a mortise and tenon joinery in it because so and so made it that way also, you know, yeah. X number of years ago, uh, then you can't qualify it as fine furniture. I think there's just some things, as far as I'm concerned, people just latch on to this one idea because somebody told them this is what it has to be. Well, I th- <clears throat> Excuse me. Hold on a second. No. <clears throat> I'm going to edit that out. Oh, that's terrible. All right. I was afraid that was going to happen. I ran out of tea. Uh, so I wonder if like, we should have a game here, like throw a bunch of things in and see at what point, like what's your breaking point for fine furniture? So, if, <laughs> all right. I built a chest of drawers, right? It's got metal slides. The drawers nope, are held together. Okay, Shannon's out. (laughs) I'm out. (laughs) Keep it coming, buddy. Let's do it. All right, let's see if I can get Matt here. It's got metal slides. The drawer joinery uh, consists of rabbits and brad nails. Did I get you? <laughs> you got a taker here? I'm 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 right on the edge with the whole Brad nail thing, but I I watched plenty what, of what, the New Yankee workshop. Brad nail. Yeah, okay. Are all they, right. Are these 18 gauge or okay, yeah, there you go. Gauge? Yeah. Uh yeah, these are these are 23 gauge. All right. Uh, so okay. All right. Uh, I'm still I'm still there. Okay. And I painted it. Uh, uh, well, is it a what kind of paint did you use? Uh just a, just a latex paint, but I did put a clear top coat on it. Uh, I would have to see a picture of it. Uh, the base, the base is, uh, constructed with pocket screws cause it's sitting on a little bit of a little platform with feet and that's held together with pocket screws. I'm still, if, if it looks nice to me and I get satisfaction from it, from looking at it and using it, it's a fine piece of furniture. Matt, I'm, I'm being dead serious. I, I'm not trying to like, you know, take on some weird role or something like that. I, again, if, if it looks beautiful to me and it's totally functional, that stuff doesn't bother me. And, uh, I, I would guess Matt that fine Italian food for you is the olive garden. Uh, uh, not anymore. <laughs> hey, it tastes good. Not since, not since, uh, the macaroni grill recently opened. <laughs> Oh, man, can, that's can I sit on this piece of furniture without having it like bow underneath me or yes. do I have to worry about see because that absolutely that's a, that's a dead giveaway there like this this piece this little cabinet I was talking about yeah. I don't think 
maybe I could sit on it now because I put it together like two days ago, <laughs> but six months from now, I guarantee you, if I tried to move this thing around, like if you, if you pick it up, I'm worried about lifting it from the lip under the lid mm-hmm. for the lid might just come right off. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, it's, and it maybe it won't, but six months, six years from now, it probably will work its way apart. And to me, I think that's a big deal yeah, in fine furniture. Certainly. I need to be able to stand on top of this this dining table or lay across the dining table and not feel like it's going to wobble underneath me. Um, See, but that, I mean, that's the thing that that's a huge factor. But at the same time, take it the other way. I built a table out of uh, construction lumber from Lowe's. It is built like a tank. You could park your car on top of it, but I didn't do anything to the wood. I just cut it to size and screwed it together. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the, the one thing that constantly keeps coming back up here is like that, the whole discussion, like with, with pocket hole screws and stuff like that. And the way I look at it is it's just like any other form of uh, joinery, like even with, say, dowels or loose tenon. If you don't use them the right way, like add the right amount – it doesn't matter which yeah. one you use. It's it's going to fall apart at some point. So sure. it's it's just like any type of joinery technique. You have to do it the right way yeah. to get the result from it. And it, it, it should hold together. Now, let me ask you this. I know one thing that we've had a discussion and we see a lot of this back and forth uh, is the use of pallet wood in furniture. Mm-hmm. Does that automatically make a piece not fine furniture because I've seen some really good ones out there. I'm not, let me just preface this to everybody. I am not a huge pallet wood user just because I've never had good luck with it. And I don't want to use it. I, I I have no problem using, uh, the dimensional lumber that I get the rough dimensional lumber or whatever it is, the rough lumber I get elsewhere. Uh, but I've seen some pieces that I'm like, wow, look at that. That came from pallet wood. I mean, I think anybody else, I think a person is, uh, challenged with a little bit more work to take pallet wood and make it into something I would see as fine furniture. So it's, it's totally possible, but Mm -hmm. I think you have to make it not look so much like pallet wood. Uh, Part of the issue with pallet wood a lot of times is the thickness. And for me, one thing that makes a fine piece of furniture going more into Shannon's thoughts on uh, stability and durability is nice, thick timbers, you know, good four quarter stock. So if you're dealing with mostly half inch material, uh, because that's what it, uh, you know, surfaced down to after you got it off of the pallet, that makes it a little bit harder. You've got a little bit more of a challenge for me to look at that. It just again, personal opinion for me to look at it and say, yeah, that's that's definitely going into the territory of fine woodworking. Right. Uh, materials, yeah. materials can be a factor. Um, bottom line for all of this, I think we can close this off and just say that it really is very subjective and it's not, you know, everyone is going to have to pass judgment for themselves. Um, and I, clearly even the three of us have different views on what what constitutes something that's fine furniture. I'm sure the same thing exactly with music. If the three of us were asked, what is fine music? I am confident that two of us might almost agree and the third probably yeah, would yeah. want to kill us. Well, and food. Food, mm, food is not a, open that can of worms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and food is a great example too. Uh, there's mm-hmm. a lot of people who see a certain level of food as fine dining. Uh, you know, some uh, chef in France would look at what I eat and think it's laughable if I call that fine dining, you know? <laughs> well, you know what? That is actually a really good example because it comes down to how refined your palate is. And yeah. I, for one, don't think I have a very refined palate. Right. You know, I can't I can't pick out a certain spice. I go, ooh, that's good. You know, and that's that's about <laughs> as far as I get, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I can tell that it's fine food by how much the check was, frankly. <laughs> exactly. Oh man. But, so this but, is but getting... I have I have friends that, you know, they could tell you, oh, we use just this much tarragon and oh, do you really taste that coming out? And you're like, no, I don't 
I don't follow anything you're talking about. Well, so this and gets, it's probably that I'm the same way because I'm looking at the chair they're sitting in going, oh, it's what a shame that they didn't create that curve a little bit differently. And they roll their eyes at me and go, okay, eat. Each yeah, food. yeah. This this really gets into a very interesting area when you start to not just think about, let's not just judge the furniture, but let's judge the people judging the furniture. So if you think that that looks like fine furniture, then it may say something about your experience um, your ability to to look at it and dissect it and see what it's made up of. Just like, you know, you might think of it as somewhat snobbish, but that's kind of what happens once you get exposed to some of the finer things. Uh, you may look at certain pieces and you can't accept them as quality furniture anymore because your standards are just higher. Yeah, yeah, well, I that's get that's why I say don't bring up the music thing because I get in trouble with that all the time. Yeah, because yeah, I've got years of music theory training all right, and shut all up. this other stuff, and I can't help but like <laughs> dissect it and go, oh well, yeah. hey, that's not fine music. Yeah, well, I don't ever have to worry about it because nobody's ever accused me of having standards for anything. So <laughs> <laughs> you're safe, Matt. You're safe. Yes. Exactly. All right, Shannon, let's move on to yours. We'll try to make this one a little bit quicker, running long here. All right. Well, apologies in advance, David, for us glossing over your question here now that we've we've uh, spent too much time on Dusty's. David wants to know, where do you get your design ideas? Matt. More precisely, how do you design <laughs> something from scratch? Do you always have certain things you uh, you do when designing a new project? I love to build, but it gets old always just building a similar version of what some other guy already built. I would like to figure out how to come up with some more original ideas. Any books you guys could recommend on woodworking design? I think the key here, David, is to omit the woodworking from your last question and look for books on design. I don't think the the central design principles, uh, the first one that comes to mind uh, I use all the time when it comes to making videos is the rule of thirds. You know, those things where, you know, you align your your subject in a third of the frame or you do the same thing on web pages. That's kind of a design rule of thumb. There are rules of thumb about color and complementary colors and contrasting colors. And that's not going to change with design of woodworking or, you know, food on a plate or what is, is pleasing. There are some kind of rules of thumb that you follow. I think we can take it one step further and look at like the George Walker school and whole number proportions, mm. whole number ratios and things like that. And you, there's a lot you can be, can be said about embracing that idea. You also get the people to go the whole golden ratio, whatever, 1.7 times 10 to the 36th pi or whatever that 6.0, 6.023 times 10 to the 20. That's what it is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> forgetting yeah. my, Ow, Ow. my head hurts. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> so I, I think, I think if you want to get some ideas on, on design, um, look, just look for design in general, um, not necessarily woodworking design. Um, and then I, I do recommend George Walker's DVDs and, um, whatchamacallit, what's the book, uh, Walker and Tolpin did uh, by, by hand and eye. Yeah. Lost, lost art press that book. Right. Um, by hand and eye. That's a good one. It gives you some good idea to start. Then I'll say, and I actually had this conversation on Twitter today. Is anybody, can anybody actually say they're not building something that some other guy already built? No. Um, or are not inspired by something some other guy already built? I think um, that's a, I, that's I a very silly thing to try to do. I mean, if you well, can, if you can do it, great. Uh, but quite honestly, there have been people building furniture, way smarter people than me for a very long time. And if I try too hard to be different, I probably break the thing. You know I, what I mean? I like there's almost tribe. It doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I can almost guarantee somebody's going to come along and look at your original piece and go, oh my God, you know what? That reminds me of this one I saw at such and such. Yeah. 
And and that's exactly what happened on Twitter today. Dave Knopf's, uh, you guys might remember him from the Modern Woodshop podcast. Yep. Um, and uh, he's just got a new blog, Something Less Ordinary Woodworking, I think. Um, he posted a really cool desk, a bow front desk. And I just thought, you know, I told him, Dave, that's a really cool, um, really like that design. He's like, well, I can't claim it. It came from Chris Gonchnor. And all I was thinking of is it looks like the one that Rob Boas built. And then somebody else piped up and said, oh, yeah, this guy built it. And then there was like even a third person or fourth person that cited another source. So just in that little tiny microcosm conversation on Twitter, we found like five or six different sources that each of us thought that Dave had derived his design from. <laughs> right. <laughs> so <laughs> it's not that there's not original thought. It's just that design um, perpetuates because it works for yeah. certain core fundamental reasons. And when you try to stress it too much, I got a bunch of um, contemporary furniture books for Christmas because I'm really exploring that. We talked about that on our last show. So I've got all these cool books and I look at some of them and they're just god awful to me. I look at this piece of furniture and go, that is the ugliest thing I've ever seen. And it's because I think somebody tried to be original. Somebody tried so hard to break some sort of design rule. And what they came up with is either a piece of art that's not functional um, or they just failed miserably. Although they can't fail that bad because it's highlighted in a yeah. museum book. So <laughs> right. Somebody <laughs> thinks it's good. Yeah. Right. Mm. Yeah. It's an interesting topic because I think ultimately if you're fairly new to design, I still consider myself very new uh, to design. That's one of the best ways for me to design a piece is to look at what else is out there, try to find some inspiration. And, and there is a point where I stop looking, you know, once I get a seed of inspiration, I say, okay, this may be my starting point, but I want to detach. And if what I make happens to be good, I probably will find it somewhere else. And someone will say, oh, you copied that from so-and-so. And then I can honestly say, well, no, actually I started here and I ended up in a place that looks kind of like this other thing. Um, so you can arrive at the same place someone else did, but still take pride in it that you were able to do the problem solving that got you to that point, you know, Maybe. but I, but I think it's kind of futile to, to, uh, go through this exercise of making truly absolutely unique things and not taking influence from other people that that's, that's a hard way to go. I, I almost yeah. think it's, I won't say it's impossible, but yeah, it's definitely like the worst uphill battle you'll ever have because you'll discover that you're, you're just going to get frustrated constantly trying to come up with something yeah. and again, have somebody go, oh yeah, it reminds me of this. And, oh, it reminds and, me of that. In any discipline, you build upon the greats. You know, we, we get places as a society, as a people by learning from other people's mistakes, building on it, making your own mistakes and teaching that to someone else. So it's just a natural part of the process, I think, to to copy and alter and build upon what's already out there. Absolutely. Right. So well, one thing I, I did, think um, oh. one of the, the big things, and I think we feel like we've had this conversation before, but um, David does ask, are there certain things you do when designing your project? And for me, I have to start with function. Um, unless I'm building like a box or I'm like turning something on the lathe that's meant to be an art piece, mm -hmm. I have to figure out what do I want this for? You know, is it a dresser? Then it should be wider than it is tall. Um, <laughs> you know, is, is this a chair? You know, it has to be able to take my bulk and it, let's be honest, I'm probably going to lean back on those back legs just because that's what I do. Um, yeah. so it's gotta be able to stand up to that. The rest of that is the design. I'm making air quotes here. Works great on podcasts. Um, the design part of it is those little embellishments and the things that make it look pretty. But I start with the function more than anything. It's got to meet those functions. Um, yeah. So then 
then I can start looking at museum books and figuring out, you know, what is my style? What do I like? What rooms it going into? Where does it have to match along that line? And then you can kind of get all designy from there. Yeah. I, I was, I actually had that written down. That's pretty much the same thing I do. I look at the functional requirements and then try to design something that doesn't violate those functional requirements, make it look as good as it can within those confines. Yep. Uh, sometimes that's easier said than done. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> Just yep. about all the time. That's easier said than done. Um, I think there are some people out there who are just blessed with or educated to the point that they have a really good sense of, of quality design and can seem to come up with ideas out of thin air. Uh, yeah. You know, and I'm not one of those people. I readily admit it. Designing is a struggle. If I have to design uh, more than one piece of furniture a month, my brain just kind of feels like mush. Um, and that actually, I ran into that recently because I had designed something for fun. I, well, I'm working on a bed, uh, for, for our, our master bedroom for Nicole and I, and that this was before my uncle passed away. So I was like, oh, this is great. I've got some free time. Let me design this thing, put everything I had into that. And then immediately after that, it's like, oh, now you have to design this memorial box. But my design side of my brain was mush. I had nothing left in the tank. Um, Suddenly you have this little tiny bed. <laughs> exactly. Do you mind if this, that looks a lot like a bed? Yeah. Do you mind if it looks like a bed with storage? Cause that's, uh, that's what I've been working on. Yeah. So, so for me, it's a very, uh, it's a very personal struggle to, to go through design. This is not something that I arrive at easily. Um, and if I make it look easy, then I'm kind of failing at what I'm trying to convey as a woodworker. Cause it's, it's just not easy for me. Yeah. You're just not trying hard enough. So uh, it comes down. I guess so. Um, I'm too much of an like analytical thinker uh, with this stuff. I'm just not all that creative. Well, I've always said the same thing. I'm more of a vessel <laughs> than I am a designer. I yeah. can, I can take somebody else's work and reproduce it. You know I mean? That's the same way it was in music. I never would ever be a composer. I I've taken composition classes. I was awful at it, <laughs> but you know, I can take a, a piece of music and I can interpret it yeah. and I can perform it, you know, along what I think the composer was trying to say or what the lyric spoke to me in such a way. And through, you know, that performance, I can create a separate piece of art, I suppose, but sure. it's still Derivative. Somebody else gave me that blueprint. Somebody else wrote the notes down and yeah. set it to rhythm. And and that's what I do with my furniture. I I, I built stuff that I like that I've seen elsewhere. Um, sometimes it's a direct copy of what I've seen elsewhere because I really like that. Yeah, yeah that that's really for my, my own design. That's what it usually comes down to quite a bit is copying what others do simply because a lot of people that come to me uh, for projects are like, I want you to make this. Oh, well, you've taken all the design away from me. Fantastic. That works great. <laughs> and I might just throw in certain things like maybe mix up the, the, the wood species or just like play with like a, an edge detail or something like that. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I mean, there's there's a something to be said about being a really great copycat. Uh, number one, isn't it like uh, copying is like one of those sincere form of flattery kind of a thing. And, and I think also it helps you kind of learn quite a bit about the whole entire process and, and how to build things. And you might actually end up discovering as you look at the evolution of your pieces that you've been copying, how much you actually do kind of tweak it a little bit and make it your own. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what, well, if you do that's this, that's what makes it fine furniture. Ha. We're done. Oh, oh, nice. I like the way go. you brought that back around. Ah, if, if, if you do wind up uh, borrowing and taking influence, just make sure you're honest about it and keep in mind if you're going to yes. sell a piece, what implications there might be for that. Let, we're not going to get into that at all. No, uh, but, no, no, uh, let's not. Let's, in, if in, you want to do that, go through all the old episodes and find it on your own. Yeah. And, and, and like, 
with all this copy and borrow talk, the one thing we want to make sure we, we hammer home is that you don't do that and then try to pass it off as your own. If you took influence from something, you got to own up to it. Um, right. I, I, and, and I give you maybe a day in this, in today's climate where yeah. somebody calls you on it. Oh you yeah, know? Totally, um, totally. If you think you found an obscure source that no one will know where it came from, uh, you're wrong. <laughs> <no>. <laughs> think about how easy it is online. You could take the image, drop it right into a Google search and it'll right. like go through all everything and bring it up for you. I mean, that's how they do it on catfish all the <laughs> yeah. time. So, Oh, and you what- know, Matt, Matt just said something a second ago about um, his own work where he'll kind of tweak a thickness or whatever. And that really resonated with me because the, one of the most recent times that I've had to design something from scratch was that, um, like picnic style dining table that I built this mm-hmm. past summer. And we were going for, I was told they want a reclaimed kind of rustic look. And then I was given an image that was totally not, that Ref- was totally very refined, refined rustic formal dining room. <laughs> and I had to design a compromise of the two. And the way I did that was by tweaking the thickness. So uh, as far as an actual executable, action for david the original asker of this question you know that may be something play with the thicknesses of the various parts and i think that ties into our other question and that i think is what can make it fine furniture mm-hmm. by and playing around is- and varying the thicknesses of things varying the reveals look at um green and green furniture is a good example the number of reveals you know your average very vanilla dining table it's got like a quarter inch reveal between the post leg and the apron well, the green, the Hall brothers really who executed it and the greens designed it, you may find three different dimensions of reveals from the leg to the apron to the drawer to the little um, Suba looking like corner bracket things. They're mm-hmm. all going to have different reveals, which cause different shadow lines. That to me is design in fine furniture. Yeah. Yeah. And that's actually something that George Walker talks a lot about when you're trying to uh, pick a size, a thickness, a width. Um, that you can explore, uh, like take it down really low and then make it really wide. And you kind of see yeah. the, the extremes and your eye will start to identify the middle ground that makes the most sense. And that's a really good way to not only change the design and see if you like it, but teach your eye to identify what's good and what's not. Um, yeah. The other thing I want to recommend too, Fine Woodworking has design books that they put out over the years um, that you could pick up. And, and this is, this may not be what he's looking for, but you can definitely get inspiration from this stuff. And uh, you'll see some really amazing, awesome designs there. Um, it's definitely like a good coffee table style book that you should take a do, look at. Do they still do that? Like I, the, th- I think what it's was the um, last one they put out. I have design book eight. Yeah. I think that is the last one or at least and I'm on their I website design book four maybe, but I, I, they're not, they don't feel like I can find them very easily. They put a couple other publications out too, that are more magazine uh, style instead of the big thick book like they used to make. So just go to Taunton's store and type in design and see what comes up. Even if you go to, to the back catalog, you'll probably find some really good stuff there. They're really good. I, I'm I waiting for second the- that. Yeah, I'm waiting for the Time Life uh, book versions to come out. I'm staying up really late at night. Hey, one thing, I did put in a link here for uh, Chuck Bender had an article way back in 2008. Uh, I'm sure these books that he mentions, probably some of them uh, are going to be difficult to get a hold of, maybe even expensive. But he had a uh, a nice uh, post about the top five books for those who take period furniture seriously. And I know how much Chuck really uh, does quite a bit with uh, designing and everything or with with. A lot of that stuff, kind of you know, working things into it. So it might be interesting to take a look at some of those titles, and who knows, maybe David will find some inspiration in there. Oh man, hybrid woodworking isn't in that list. 
Well, it was 2008. Oh, it wasn't published yet. Uh, That's true. If he were to revisit it, I'm sure he would put that in. I forgive you, Chuck. I forgive you. In fact, you know what? I'm going to go over there and leave a comment on that post right (laughs) now. You should. You should do that. (laughs) He'd love it. Oh, man. I I second that as well, Matt. (laughs) I have several of those books um, that uh, Chuck recommends. They're all very, very good. Cool. But the design books, that's that's huge. Yeah. Um, I got a couple of those for Christmas, too. They're very nice. All right. Let's pinch it off. Uh, right. If you want to support us, you can do that. Just head to woodtalkshow.com. Look for those donation links and set up a recurring donation. Just a dollar, two dollars, whatever you want to do. We always appreciate it. Also, go to twwstore.com. You could pick up a Wood Talk t-shirt. And if you want to, you could head over to iTunes, look us up in the iTunes store, and leave us a review. And Matt, if you want to give them the contact info, we'll get out of here. All right. Hey, folks, do you have a comment, question or a topic suggestion? Maybe something along the lines of what you think fine furniture is, which probably is not the same as mine. So yours is not as important as mine is. Anyways, you have several different ways to contact us. Leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is WoodTalkOnline. Call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. Email us at kickback at woodtalkshow.com or leave us a comment on our WoodTalk Facebook page. And if you're ever looking for the show notes or downloads from today's show, or previous episodes, uh, you're going to find those online, actually. So just just type it in. Just look for Wood Talk or something. I don't know. Nice. Very good. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, we look forward to a wonderful 2015 with you. Yeah. I see, who's going to be the first one to call in? Should we have a little prize for them? Like, uh, uh, hey, The first thanks. voicemail? Probably um, Roberto or that guy, Mike in L.A. Or, oh, yes. uh, or you know, one of our regulars, hopefully. Or George hopefully the California. Demented Woodworker will call back. I like him. Oh, there you go. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you next time. Yeah, See you, your seatbelt on your hoverboard. Whoop. Hey, everyone. Mark here. I've got a little favor to ask. We're running an anonymous survey to help better match our show with potential advertisers. Yeah, no one loves advertising, but this survey is going to prevent us from running ads for knitting suppliers and stretchy pants manufacturers. The survey takes just a minute or two to fill out, and it'll really help us in our mission to make the show successful for years to come. Plus, Matt's tacos aren't paying for themselves. Listeners who complete the survey will be entered in an ongoing monthly raffle to win a $100 Amazon gift card. We promise not to share your email address, and we won't send you email unless you win. Please go to podsurvey.com wood. That's podsurvey.com wood to take our survey and get a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.